This morning is a morning that was uh, called, according to our capital campaign, Celebration Shabbat. And I need, I need to give you the, uh, the figures of all the things that were collected uh, for our capital campaign. Uh, I will tell you that um, we did not reach our goals. We had hoped to have approximately $112,500 in initial offerings. Uh, we got a little, more, a little over 30000 We had hoped to raise $337,500 in pledged offerings. The pledges total approximately $267,000. Uh, we still have uh, money that will be coming into the building fund from the Michael Card concert. To all of you um, who gave money and who pledged money, no matter how small or how large, uh, my heartfelt thanks to you that you are part of this campaign. Uh, and to those of you who call Son of David your family and did not pledge anything or give anything, it's not my job to convict you. I'm going to leave that up to the Holy Spirit. But what I want to talk about this morning is faith. Because I will tell you that when I first saw the results in the capital campaign, for about a day and a half, I was pretty displeased. For about a day and a half, I was upset. For about an hour, I was angry, and then God spoke to me, and a dear friend pointed me to this scripture that I believe is very appropriate for all of us this morning. So if you will, will you please turn to Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to to 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my, on, on my high hills. It's interesting, just as a side note, that three different terms for the Lord are used here in this, what I call, hymn of faith. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's the yud heh vav heh. Some pronounce it as Yahweh. I will, enjoy, I will joy in the God, the Elohim of my salvation. And the Lord God, Adonai, which is a plural form of Adon. So all of the Godhead here, I believe, is spoken of. I call this message, The Rainbow Through the Rain. The Rainbow through the rain. Habakkuk provides an example for us. He shows us how to rest on God's promises when we are personally devastated, and also how to rejoice in the Lord and his provision when our circumstances may seem to be devastating. How many of you remember a tennis player named Arthur Ashe? Remember Arthur Ashe? He was a tennis superstar. He died of AIDS, which he contracted from a blood transfusion 
during heart surgery that he had to have. But he was more than a great athlete. Arthur Ashe was a gentleman who inspired and encouraged many with his exemplary behavior, both on and off the court. Ashe could have become embittered and self-pitying in the face of his disease, gotten from a blood transfusion from tainted blood, but he maintained a grateful attitude. He explained, quote, If I asked why me about my troubles, I would also have to ask why me about my blessings. Why me winning Wimbledon? Why me marrying a beautiful, gifted woman? And why me having a wonderful child? Ash's attitude rebukes those of us who often grumble and say, why me? Why is God allowing this to happen? Even if we're suffering, we must not forget the mercies of God that pours into our lives. Things like food, shelter, friend, blessings, my dear ones, that many around the world are in fact deprived of. And what about our spiritual blessings? We can hold the very word of God in our hands and read it. We have the knowledge of his saving grace. We have the comfort of his spirit. And we have a joyful assurance of everlasting life. Think about God's blessings and ask, why me? Then your grumbling will give way to praise. Habakkuk is writing, by the way, about 18 to 20 years before Jerusalem is destroyed in 586 B.C. Who knows, maybe he was alive to see that destruction. Maybe he was killed in the battle. Maybe he was starved during the siege. He may have lived through it. We really don't know. But we do know that Jeremiah experienced all the terrors of that time. You will remember King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon surrounded the city. He besieged it for two years, in fact, starving the people into submission. Eventually, the king of Judah and his army tried to escape through a hole in the wall at night, but they were caught and slaughtered. The Babylonian army then entered the city, looting, murdering, plundering, and destroying. This followed with crop failure and the death of the animals, would devastate Judah. But Habakkuk affirmed that even in the times of starvation and loss, he would still rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk's feelings were not controlled by the events around him. No, they were controlled by faith in God's ability to give him strength. When nothing makes sense, when trouble seems more than you can bear, remember, God gives strength. Take your eyes off of your difficulties and look to God. The very things Habakkuk complains about, the fig tree not blossoming, no fruit, no herd in the stalls, were still not there, and yet he was rejoicing. He wasn't complaining. So the question is, what changed his mind? Understand that it's acceptable to acknowledge the difficulty of our situation. 
However, like Habakkuk, we should focus our attention on God rather than on our circumstances. In the midst of challenging current events, we sometimes forget that people in the past also face similar difficult periods of distress. Throughout our history as a country, perilous times have been experienced both economically and internationally. And a visit with the Hebrew scriptures or the prophets will give us a greater understanding of such times of depression and chaos in society. Dear ones, the children of Israel had a PhD in captivity and bondage. Remember that circumstances change, but our God does not. Put your hope in his ability to save. He's present even in the most difficult of times. And because of that, we can choose, choose to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of the way we feel. We can trust that he will enable us to overcome. I can do all things through Messiah, who strengthens me. So how do we find consolation in the Lord? Number one, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy again and again. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10, reiterates this by saying, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. The apostle Paul exhorts the Philippian church, chapter 4, verse 4, by telling them, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And note here three reactions that Habakkuk avoids. And these are, by the way, natural human reactions. Number one, he does not lash out at God in anger. He doesn't say, God, you have no right to destroy your people. You're a faithless God. Second, He does not pretend that evil won't happen. He doesn't withdraw into some fantasy world saying, that's just too terrible to think think about. I'm just going to close my eyes and think of something else. I'll sit in front of the TV and get distracted. And three, and please note carefully, he does not even say, despite all this, I'll endure. I'll keep a stiff upper lip. I'll stick it out. I will still wait for the Lord. I will remain faithful. Let me explain what I mean. Habakkuk is not the little train that could. Puffing up the side of a mountain saying, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Instead, what does he say? I will exalt in the Lord and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. How can he say that? Looking ahead to the terrors of Nebuchadnezzar's siege, how can Habakkuk Rejoice in the Lord. Well, the prophet Habakkuk embodies this spirit of rejoicing in verses 17 to 19, which I read at the beginning of the message. Now, he's not naive. He knows that there are rough times ahead. His personal circumstances and those of his fellow countrymen are about to take a dramatic turn for the worse. But it doesn't matter. Even if everything goes to pot, he will still rejoice in the Lord. So how can he do that? What exactly is there to rejoice about? Well, he can rejoice always because God is the God of his salvation. God will save him, even in the midst of judgment. God will protect him and watch over him. God will be his strength 
and see him through. That's what we read in verses 17 to 19. And Habakkuk chapter 2, 4 says it like this. The righteous shall live by his faith. And this is why we can rejoice in the Lord. Regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of the initial um, outcome of the campaign. Even when things are terrible. Now we shouldn't fool ourselves. We will go through difficult times. We are people who live in a sinful world. And we will experience the various miseries of this life, including the ultimate one, death. We might suffer hardship due to our personal sins, due to other people's sins, due to our country's sins. This was the case for Judah and Babylon in Habakkuk's day. Or we may suffer consequences simply by the fact that we live in a foreign, a fallen world where things don't always work out right. The point is that there will be times in our lives when the fig tree will not blossom and the produce of the olive will fail. We will to one degree or another experience God's wrath over sin. And all of the temporal judgments that we experience teach us how awful sin is and how much God hates it. They also remind us of the future day of judgment when God will fully punish people for their sins. Then the punishment will be unbearable and eternal. Habakkuk not only foresees the possibility that he could lose everything, he foresees the certainty that the world as he knows it, along with everything and everyone he loves, will be terribly destroyed. And in this extremity of thought, He says, not only I won't accuse God of being unfaithful, but I will rejoice in God. Rejoice in God. Dear ones, he has joy. Joy in the God of his salvation. Nehemiah 8.10 tells us that this is the day that is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So why is joy so important? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy produces strength. And strength is needed to fight. And we are called to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 Now I believe that many people in the body of Messiah are just tired of fighting the good fight of faith. They're struggling to fight. And you know why they're struggling to fight? Because they've lost their joy. They've lost their joy. You see, Habakkuk had no intention of staying defeated. He may look defeated, but he's not going to stay defeated. The difference between the person who is defeated and the person who is victorious is their attitude, not their circumstance. An attitude of gratitude will sustain you in life. This is the kind of attitude that this prophet had. Even though nothing good was happening in his life, no fruit, no crops, no olive oil, no sheep, no cattle, yet he rejoiced. Today, Habakkuk might have said it this way. Though there's no food in the refrigerator, there's no money in the account, though the sickness gets worse, And the pain persists. 
though my children are on drugs and my spouse does not appreciate me, and a building for Son of David congregation is not yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Amen? Regardless of your circumstances, you can rejoice and be joyful. And thirdly, Habakkuk had strength. Strength in the Lord God. The prophet Zechariah says it this way, Zechariah 12, verse 5. The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. So what kind of strength are we talking about? What kind of strength here is Habakkuk talking about? Well, he talks about deer's feet. They will run like deer across rough and dangerous terrain. Now, if Habakkuk had lived elsewhere in the Middle East at that time, he might have said something like this. They run like a, like a, a, a herd of big, her, big horn sheep. Big horn sheep. In the Hajir Mountains of the Middle East, you find big horn sheep. They live on rocky, seemingly inaccessible peaks. And there near the top would be these big horn sheep. They climb to the uppermost crags. They run over rock fields as easily as we would run on the beach. So why are bighorn sheep able to do this? Because of their feet. Their tough, cloven hooves. These hooves aren't hurt by sharp rocks, but they're able to grip even the smallest outcrops. God designed their feet for climbing. They don't slip. They don't fall. And please note, the point is not the power of the sheep. It's the design of the sheep's foot. Habakkuk uses the word, by the way, for a female deer, not the male, to make his point even stronger. The female deer also is able to climb to the highest heights to run over rocky fields because of her special feet. So Habakkuk rejoices that his feet our feet are made like deer's feet, like the feet of bighorn sheep, designed by God to travel over the most difficult ground. And he rejoices that in God he can walk on high hills. At the proper time, well, God will bring about his justice and completely rid the world of evil. But in the meantime, God's people need to live in the strength of his spirit, confident in his ultimate victory over evil. You know, if it was 20 years ago, the phrase walking on high places would have meant recreational mountain climbing. You know, go out on a beautiful day, climb to the highest peak, experience a great view, exercise your body, get back to nature. In Habakkuk's day, by the way, no one exercised for the sake of exercise. Recreational mountain climbing was still a few millennium in the future. And the idea of rock climbing was never even imagined. Instead, this term, high places, connotes a difficult and challenging place to get to. A place one would not want to go unless it is absolutely necessary. You might climb to a high place to gain defensive ground in a battle but you only go there if you can't avoid it. And so high places here means a difficult, challenging place. And so, Habakkuk has provided an example for us. He 
He has showed us how to rest on God's promises when we are personally devastated and also to rejoice in the Lord and his provision when our circumstances are devastating. And so in light of that, I want to ask you, I want to ask us two questions. Are you looking for the vine to blossom before you can rejoice? Are you waiting for the raise in pay or for that answered prayer? Are you waiting for everything to fit in before you start praising the Lord? Well, if that's so, then I think you just turn in your badge now and give up. Proverbs 24, verse 10 says it this way. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. But like Habakkuk, if we praise our God and King, we will be given grace to trace the rainbow through the rain. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, please. And as they come up, I'm going to ask you this final question. Are we, am I, waiting for all the necessary funds to be raised for the building before we praise God? My answer is no. May it never be. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. And in lieu of the ironic benediction this morning, I've asked the worship team to lead us in the last song that they played during the worship set. How great is our God.